in your Bibles to the book of Titus, uh, the book of, of Titus, um, we will be finishing Second Chronicles, um, I haven't forgotten that we've still got a couple of chapters to go in that portion of Scripture. Uh, but I wanted us to, uh, over the next few weeks, uh, we'll have kind of a different schedule um, with these joint worship services and uh, didn't want uh, us to have to interrupt uh, our looking uh, there in the book of Second Chronicles. Uh, next Lord's Day uh, morning, we'll be back in First Thessalonians. Um, and I'm very excited about uh, the next passage that we'll be looking uh, at together there. But tonight, uh, we'll begin just sort of a little mini-series that the purpose of which is just to give us an overview uh, of the book of Titus. Uh, many times uh, we um, take a, a good bit of time going through portions of Scripture, but there are other times that we just um, walk uh, more quickly through. And uh, both uh, approaches have uh, advantages, uh, blessings, uh, but uh, we'll be moving rather quickly through the book of Titus. And um, I pray that it will be a great encouragement uh, to your heart and stir us up to uh, be uh, feeding upon God's Word and, and growing um, in, in particularly this coming year um, as we study the Scriptures together. Um, tonight, then, we'll begin looking at the book of Titus, and uh, we'll start reading God's very Word, Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, 
holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, and therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Well, thus ends the reading of God's very word. Let's pray. Lord God, how we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for this powerful little book of Titus. And Lord, that as part of your eternal, infallible, holy, authoritative word, Lord, you have given it to us so that we might be instructed by you uh, to learn the gospel and then to be equipped for every good work. And so, Lord, as your people, uh, we thank you uh, that you reveal to us in uh, this portion of Scripture uh, the important place of your word in the preaching of the word in the life of the child of God. And, Lord God, that you would Give us a great joy uh, to sit at your feet tonight and that, Lord Jesus, you would stir us up to love you, to love your word uh, with renewed hunger and zeal, to love one another, to love your church, uh, Lord, to be those who are growing in our hope in you, Lord Jesus growing to bear more fruit for your praise until you come to end history, O Lamb of God. And so bless us and encourage us and instruct us, for you are worthy. In Jesus we pray, amen. Now I want you to notice in this uh, a book, there are a number of references to good works. Uh, we see that at the end of chapter 1 uh, in verse 16, these false teachers professed to know God, but they were denying the one that they professed with their mouth by what? Their works. 
And the Apostle Paul described them. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work because they did not delight and trust in and feed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, he describes some of the good works that God's people ought to be instructed in. And notice in verse um, 11 and following, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for what? Good works. Uh, Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. And then in chapter 3, we won't take the time, but we see the same thing. Uh, The Lord warns us not to lose sight that we're not saved by our works. We're saved by being joined to the Lord Jesus Christ, but those who are joined to him will surely evidence that saving union by uh, our works. We see in verse 4 of chapter 3, But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And so one of the main themes of this book is giving instructions to this young pastor to help God's people bear fruit in Jesus. That being said, we dig in now and we want to look at three sections in chapter 1. First of all, we see the one who calls and sends men to preach the gospel. And you see that in verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of God. Uh, The the Lord could have boomed his voice down from heaven. Uh, The Lord could have sent angels. Uh, I promise you, if a flaming, fiery, mighty uh, seraphim uh, uh, came down, couple of them tonight, Um, a a, a group of angels, I I promise you they would have your undivided attention. Uh, But the Lord has chosen to use the foolishness of preaching uh, to accomplish his good purposes of gathering his lost sheep unto himself and then seeing those sheep built up in the faith. This highlights, of course, the power of God to take weak, frail, uh, pitiful vessels uh, and to accomplish such amazing things. Uh, There is no doubt uh, who gets the glory and the praise. It is the God of our salvation. And the Apostle Paul uh, puts 
forth this wondrous truth that he had been privileged to not only be saved himself, but be called to preach the gospel. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostle, the Greek uh, word uh, apostello, to send, and apostles, uh, the, the English word apostle is just a transliteration from the Greek uh, uh, language, uh, and it literally means a sent one. And the Lord Jesus is the ultimate sent one. And all others, prophets and apostles uh, that God sent to give the rest of his word, uh, they all point to the apostle, our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to do a fascinating Bible study, go through the Gospel of John and note the number of times that Jesus refers to himself as the sent one, the one that the Father sent. And here the Apostle Paul, uh, why was he preaching the gospel? God had made him a servant of God and called him and sent him to proclaim the gospel. And why? For the sake of the faith of God's elect. God has chosen a people that he has given to his son. And in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, we read that that took place even before the foundation of the world was laid. And here now, we are reminded of this great God who saves uh, uh, people who are alienated from him in the Redeemer, in Jesus Christ. And God thrusts forth these messengers for the sake of God's people, for the sake of the body of truth, that apostolic gospel that is recorded for us, that is Holy Scripture itself, and that we might experientially come to know that truth by the Holy Spirit taking God's very word and opening our minds and our eyes to see and understand the truth of God. This truth not only causes us to experience salvation, but to live godly lives, which accords with godliness. Verse 2, it produces in us a hope. And hope is that confidence that everything that God has promised to be and do for us is ours. And we will experience it in God's good time. This faith in Jesus Christ is in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. Uh, God always has been, and as we have seen in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, uh, the blood of the eternal covenant. Uh, this gospel uh, is not a new idea that God just came up with on the spur of the moment. Uh, but this, this is something that he has planned before the ages began. And then in verse 3, and at the proper time manifested in his word. 
The Lord Jesus is the one, as we read in John 1, uh, who has come and tabernacled among men and has made the Father known. And now the Holy Spirit comes and takes this apostolic testimony of the living word and makes God's word open to us. And it is through the preaching that God is pleased to accomplish this. As we read in Romans chapter 10, faith comes from where? Comes from the word. Faith comes by hearing the word. That is what God uses to work faith in our hearts. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so God has thrust forth these messengers down through the ages through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. And now the Apostle Paul is moved by the Holy Spirit to write to this young pastor by the name of Titus. Titus is also a messenger of God called to point people to Jesus so that they also would come to the knowledge of the truth and bear forth the fruit of a godly life, uh, bearing uh, uh, this uh, life of, of the fruit of the Spirit, having hope of eternal life, belonging to a God and building our lives upon His Word, a God who never lies. And so Titus, he is dear to the Apostle Paul's heart. To Titus, my true child in a common faith. The apostles were not uh, different from uh, any of us in the sense that we are all saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Of course, they had a unique role to play, laying the foundation of either writing or overseeing uh, uh, the writing of the New Testament. But Titus now, he is going to take this apostolic gospel that God gave through the apostles, that the Lord Jesus gave uh, when he walked on the earth and then from his throne in heaven fleshing out the rest of the New Testament as he promised there in John 16, for example. He told the disciples the night before he went to the cross, I have many other things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Uh, but when I send the Helper, uh, who the Father, uh, I will send in the Father's name, he will lead you into all the truth. And he's talking about the rest of the writing of the New Testament. And so Titus now is going to take this apostolic gospel and this common faith that he shared with the Apostle Paul that we, by the grace of God, have the privilege of sharing. And we have the joy of knowing Jesus and growing up in Jesus. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And so... This is the God who sends 
the preaching of the gospel. Secondly, I want you to notice in verses 5 through uh, um, 9, God gives to us the qualifications not only for Titus, uh, not only for Timothy, but for the elders in their day and elders down through the ages until Jesus comes again. We see in verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders. And the term elder there is the Greek term presbyteros. If you use your imagination, that's where the term Presbyterian comes from. Presbyteroi, the plural, uh, whenever you see churches in the New Testament, it is ruled by a plurality of elders. And these elders are also referred in verse 7 by another Greek term. And these two terms are used as synonyms for an overseer or bishop. And the Greek word there is episkopos. Uh, bishops, episkopos, uh, elders, presbyteros. Uh, these are terms that the New Testament uses interchangeably. Now, sadly, there are denominations uh, that have what we refer to as a hierarchical view of church government. The Episcopal Church, the Methodist Church, the Roman Catholic, the Assemblies of God, on and on. There are a number of, of groups that have a hierarchical view of church government. But the Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that there are church courts that all are uh, to be viewed as just bigger extensions of the court of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these elders that he, are, uh, he is to appoint are also referred to as bishops. And so they are not bishops up here and elders down here, but all elders are bishops and all bishops are elders. These are synonyms. And these qualifications are for the purpose of these men, at least to a degree, fleshing out or living out the gospel of the Lord Jesus in terms of their own lives, showing what it looks like to bear fruit for the living God. They themselves are to be examples to the flock. We have a couple of passages that uh, highlight this uh, over in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5. If you'll turn there with me, the apostle Peter, he also viewed himself as an elder. And in verse 1 of 1 Peter 5, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, 
exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being what? Examples to the flock. And so here in Titus chapter 1, uh, we have a description of these uh, uh, character traits, uh, that these men who are the messengers, who proclaim the word of God, also are to be living in such a way uh, that their lives illustrate what it looks like to know and love and follow Jesus. The Apostle Paul, uh, he was not perfect. Uh, we read in Romans chapter 7, there were still remaining struggles with sin in his life, and yet uh, God had grown him to a degree that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he would say to the church at Corinth, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. And that is true, of course, for parents. Uh, parents are examples for our children. And we beg that God will grow us as parents so that our children can learn uh, uh, positively of course, our children also learn from us negatively when I stumble, uh, and, and they learn what it looks like uh, to say, I, I, I sin. Please forgive me. I have mercy in the name of Jesus. Uh, but God calls upon us as parents, and this is true uh, for elders of the church. And so these qualities... Uh, that are listed here, um, they must be present to some degree, to some measure. And that's what we see, that these elders have the responsibility, as we read in Acts 20, of keeping watch over ourselves and then for all the flock among which God has made elders shepherds to care for God's sheep that are so precious to our Lord Jesus. He purchased his sheep with his own blood. And so in verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. There were to be a plurality of elders in all of these towns uh, that were uh, 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 to keep watch over themselves, holding each other accountable to the Lord Jesus, and, and then uh, uh, caring for the lambs of the Lord Jesus. Well, what are these character traits? Verse 6, if anyone is above reproach, uh, that means there are no outstanding uh, uh, sins. Uh, it, it is that uh, we ought to uh, have accounts up to date with the Lord Jesus. Um, if anyone is above reproach, and these are character traits that ought to be present for every child of God. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, um, you can't practice polygamy uh, and be... 
uh, 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 an elder. Um, if somebody has uh, lost their wife due to death, uh, that doesn't disqualify them. Uh, they could marry uh, again in the Lord or, or even a, a biblical divorce. Uh, but uh, paganism, and it is shocking in our day and time to see the rise uh, of a denial of God's definition of marriage. And it's only a matter of time unless the Lord turns our culture from the course that we are on uh, that we will see a polygamous marriages, uh, so-called, uh, in our day. But those uh, who would lead God's people must be a godly example. Uh, we must not uh, have outstanding debts with other people, uh, with the Lord, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Um, we read over in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 3, and you can turn there with me. These same uh, parallel quali qualifications are listed. And in verse 4, we read, An elder must manage his household well, in verse 4, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And so if a man doesn't know how to take care of his own immediate family, how in the world will he care for the bigger family of God's people? He's to be an example. He's to be one uh, who loves and nurtures and cares uh, for uh, his wife, his children. His children... Uh, are believers not open to the charge of debauchery, riotous living, or insubordination, refusing uh, uh, to be instructed and to live in terms of godliness in the, their lives while they are in the home. Uh, here we see uh, in verse 7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant. Um, pride is a deadly thing. Uh, a drunkard, uh, the sin of drunkenness uh, destroys people. Um, God says these are character traits that every Christian ought to have serving Jesus in our own hearts, having a godly home, serving Jesus in the station where God has placed us in the home as husbands and wives, parents, uh, being godly children. Uh, that's what these qualifications are reminding us of, of the centrality and how basic the family is. Um, not violent. It goes without saying, uh, if there's someone who uh, picks fights and uh, is harming the people around them uh, through violent outbursts, um, that is not the picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Not greedy for gain. Uh, somebody who 
uh, is, is always looking for a scheme, taking advantage uh, of people around them, but hospitable, opening up our, our hearts and our homes to one another, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Now, we could just spend literally months looking at those character traits, but this is a description of somebody who loves Jesus and is walking with him. And then verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Um, in, in addition to the qualities of a godly life, uh, he must know the word of God, know the gospel, uh, uh, Hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, the apostolic gospel of Holy Scripture, so that he can not only give instruction in sound teaching, uh, but also rebuke those who contradict it. And then the last thing that we see in this chapter is the danger. Uh, why does God say that we need messengers uh, who would help us know and learn from Holy Scripture of the Lord Jesus Christ and then have it applied to every aspect of life? Uh, why do we need those who would be examples uh, uh, to show us as they teach? Uh, here's what the truth of Jesus looks like in everyday life. In verse 10, the Apostle Paul told young Titus, I've left you in Crete to appoint elders that the congregation would uh, elect. You lay your hands on them and appoint them. Um, <coughs> verse 10, why? For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Uh, the circumcision party, uh, you can read more in the book of Galatians about those. Uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 15, uh, they taught that people were made right with God by keeping the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. And the apostles in Acts 15 met. And they hammered that out and they said, no, nope, the gospel always has been that we are made right with God by faith in Messiah. And so there were people uh, who were saying, listen, uh, you, uh, it's, it's good to have Jesus, but if you really want to grow and be right with the living God, uh, here's the inside scoop. They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Uh, apart from the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. That's his point. And therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish 
myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Now, the book of Colossians also talks about how uh, there were false teachers who were coming from these uh, perspectives uh, and, and spreading this notion that if you really want to be right with God, that you have to keep the dietary laws of the Old Testament spelled out there in Deuteronomy 14 and so forth. And in Colossians 2, he says, listen, these laws have absolutely no effect on godliness. They can't make you right with God. They serve the purpose of marking out the people of God until Messiah came. But they cannot perfect you. They cannot make you right with God. Only Jesus can do that. That's the point of Colossians 2. Uh, just turn there with me uh, in Colossians chapter 2. At the end of, of, of this section in verse 20 of Colossians 2, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. We need Jesus. He's the one. And so the Apostle Paul says, look, this gospel, this body of truth, this apostolic gospel, uh, it focuses on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And these pastors are sent forth by the Lord Jesus Christ to open up Holy Scripture and help God's people learn of Christ and grow up in Him. And then he ends this section in verse 16 of Titus 1. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And you can think about the Apostle Paul himself before he was converted. Uh, he was one of the men who was teaching this very thing now that he identifies and says, this is not the path. He did not love the Lord Jesus. He did not trust in him to be his redemption. Over in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, if you'll turn there with me, Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul in verse 1 said, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. 
Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And in the Greek, the term there is even stronger, dumb. Count them but dumb in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. And so these false teachers in the Apostle Paul's day uh, he says, they profess to know God, but by their deeds, by their works, they deny him. And that's what the Lord Jesus told us over in the Gospel of Matthew uh, in chapter 7. He said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. And so that's what the Apostle Paul now is, is referring to here. Uh, God calls upon us to be those who bear fruit because we are joined to Jesus. And there are many false teachers in our day and time. Our country is full of it. And the mess that we see in our land uh, is the result largely of the church not teaching the gospel according to Holy Scripture. Uh, there are many, many false teachers in our day and time. Uh, we're not going to go through a catalog and a list of them, uh, but uh, there's no end to the number uh, of false teachers and false teaching that we could point to in this day and time. Uh, but praise God, God has given us the Holy Scriptures so that we would know Jesus and know how to live in him. Oh, the word of God is precious and that is what we depend on to know what to believe and how to live. The word of God, the Holy Scriptures. It teaches us of Jesus Christ and it teaches us how to live in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. We are struck, Lord, in our day and time uh, with how uh, clear and, and simple uh, the message of Holy Scripture is and yet how incredibly deep and profound it is. Uh, Lord, we would spend a lifetime just scratching the surface of, of your word and yet the truths of Holy Scripture are so plain and clear that even a little child 
by your spirit can understand. And so, Father, we thank you for this portion of Scripture. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God who has planned redemption and purchased it in your Son. And you are the one who calls men to preach the gospel of Holy Scripture. Oh Lord, we pray that you would bless that all of us would grow in godliness, in these traits of what it looks like to know and belong to you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, that you would bless the parents, uh, the older brothers and sisters in our congregation, Lord, to realize uh, that we are examples as well as the the elders of this congregation. Oh, Lord, we tremble before you, and you've warned us in the book of James uh, not to let many become teachers because uh, we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. And so we do tremble before you, Lord God, and beg that we might believe only what your word, the Holy Scriptures say, and hold fast to it. And that, Lord, we would weigh uh, everything that, that we believe uh, and we would be careful what we are teaching uh, to our own children, uh, that you would guard this pulpit, uh, that you would bless uh, the elders of this congregation and our uh, presbytery to be faithful to you, Lord. Hear our cry. And we thank you, O Lord, that you are at work. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love uh, us as your lambs. And you uh, have, have raised up those uh, who would help us grow in Jesus. Lord, bless the young people and children in this congregation to be full of great joy and thanksgiving that they have a godly mama and daddy that love them and are seeking to help them grow in Jesus. Father, thank you for the privilege uh, that you give to the elders of this congregation and of our presbytery. Lord, to be servants, uh, to be your message boys. And so, Father, grow us uh, to understand more clearly and to be useful. Uh, not only teaching with words, but by example, and that we would all grow in you, O Lamb of God. Bless now as we sing and as we conclude our worship. In Jesus we pray. Amen.